Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. Podcast. The following is Episode 5 in a six-part series on the history of the Church by Terry Miller. This episode is called Creatures of the Eternal. In the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, Paul is writing in the first chapter, and he says in verse number 16, He ceased not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory and what, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. This is a powerful word. It is a, it is a kingdom word. It is a summation of God's, uh, uh, message uh, to us in this hour and throughout all of history for those as, who, as Brother Smith said, have ears, but ears that hear, eyes that see, as the songwriter said, hearts that understand. He wants us to, to get a grasp of the big picture. A lot of times we focus on that little peephole that is right before us, the little glimpse we have of, of beautiful things and wonderful things. But God wants us, our vision to be enlarged. He wants us to see the, the, the big picture. Don't worry about the details. He will fill in those details. That's what revelation of the Holy Ghost is all about. It is a revelation of the Spirit. He fills in the details. But He wants you to have an understanding that God is working in the realm of the eternal and that we are creatures of the eternal. That our life, our real life, is hid with Christ in God. And without Him, we can do nothing, as the songwriter says, and without Him, we would surely fail. He wants that anointing. That's the spirit of wisdom. It's the anointing, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge, knowing, 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 knowing Him. That's what it's all about. He wants to bring us Closer together. He wants to bring us closer and closer and closer in that oneness. Like Jesus said that I have with you, Father. That they might be one in us. Not just with us. You just don't want to say, well, I'm with you, Lord. No, He said that they might be one in us. As you, Father, are in me. And I am in you. This is my prayer in John 17 that they may be one in us. And then he said, so the world will believe that thou hast sent me. If you want to know what sonship is, uh, that's sonship. That's what sonship is all about. A people filled, hallelujah, filled with God. So he says, may the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, be upon you all. Hallelujah. He says, I pray in this way for you. The, uh, the uh, Word of God declares that without a vision, the Proverbs, without a vision, the people will perish. And I don't believe that that is talking about the unbelieving people. They are, they are already a perishable commodity. But the believing people, Without a vision, the people will perish. Oh, it will begin slowly. You will diminish. You will slowly degenerate into form and ceremony, such as we were talking about last night. Having forms you end up with. Forms of godliness. But no longer knowing anything of the power thereof. We, that's religion. We don't want that. 
Religion is a perishable commodity. We need to belong to the ongoing move of the Holy Spirit of all time and from before time. And when time shall be no more, He shall still be there and He shall still be moving. Hallelujah. That's why I said we are, oh glory, we are creatures of the eternal. You may say, I don't like that word creature. Well, you are one. They're even heavenly creatures. Praise God. If there can be heavenly creatures, there can be earthly creatures too. We are, that means creations of God, the creation of God Himself. The eyes of your understanding, this is what He wants. The eyes of your understanding, may it, may they be opened. May they be enlightened. Praise God. That you may know, not hope, but that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What is His mind? What is the purpose? It is one thing to know that uh, Jesus is Lord. It is one thing to know that there was an old rugged cross. But it's another thing to know that cross. It's another thing to know the Lord Jesus who hung upon that cross. The Lord Jesus who is resurrected and alive forevermore, who has called you like the prophet of old. He said before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Hey, I knew you. Not only that, he said, I called you. What? And I ordained you. Hey, as a prophet, a prophetic voice. To the nations. See, this thing's bigger than you and I. We are a part of God's great revelation of Himself through the man Christ Jesus and the church, which is His body. So that the eyes of our understanding may be enlightened, as I said, that we may Give, catch a glimpse of the, of the big picture. Hallelujah. Not necessarily all the details. That comes by revelation of the Holy Ghost through the holy apostles and prophets, by the anointing. And, and those details are filled in as we move on. We are responsible to walk, as we've already established in these teachings, we are responsible to walk today in the present truth. And this self-expansive, almighty, all-knowing, omnipotent, omnipresent God who fills the universe, as Weymouth translated it, who fills the universe everywhere with Himself, He has it all under control. Praise God. We used to sing a little chorus. Though all the world around me be raging, there's peace in the midst of the storm. Your world, your own little world, might be raging right now, but if you are tapped into the eternal, hallelujah, and you have a glimpse of Him, though the world around you be raging, there is a peace that is yours, right in the midst of the storms of life. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance is. Where? In the saints. Hallelujah. See, the church is important to God. The church is a part of Himself. Jesus said, I will build My church and the gates of hell will never, will not prevail against it. He showed us the way. He said, I am actually the way. I am actually the truth. And I actually am the light. And He said, and no man or woman no one can come 
unto the Father except by me. Sometimes when we travel around and when we talk about the restoration of all things, people who don't know what God is speaking to us will sometimes say, oh, you're a universalist. I say, excuse me? They say, you're a universalist. You believe that one day God will save everybody. And I said, let me tell you something very clearly from the Scriptures. I am not a universalist. I do not believe, as universalism teaches, that all roads lead to God, for that's what a universalist believes. A universalist says that all roads lead to God. You could be a Buddhist. You could be a Baptist. You could be a Catholic. You, you could be a Hindu. All, you could be anything, even an unbeliever, I guess. All roads eventually lead, I believe in nothing. I mean, all roads lead to God. That is a lie. That is a lie from the pits of the Diabolus, from the confuser, the devil himself. For there is only one way to God. Thank God there's one, one, one. One way to God. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? No man, no, 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 no. No man will come unto the Father, he said, except by me. Do I believe that one day every knee will bow? Well, if the Bible says so, I believe. If the Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, what? To the glory of God that all roads lead to God. All be quiet. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. Same Paul said to the Corinthians, and no man can confess that Christ is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. So God is at work. God is at work calling His creation back unto Himself. And hence we have studied, at least in, we started out a thumbnail sketch. Thumbnail sketch of the various movings and peculiar workings of God over these thousands of years to bring forth the people in His likeness and in His image. Praise the name of the Lord. He says, continuing in verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the workings of His mighty power, which He hath wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Now note verse 22 and 23. And hath put all things under His feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. That's what the church, the real church is. The church is his body, the body of Christ, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Or as Weymouth translates it, who fills the universe everywhere with Himself. But the means that He has chosen is the church, the redeemed ones, the firstfruits of the Lamb, who in every generation have been called out of religion, out of darkness, out of the world, out of sin, out of all carnal pursuits uh, to become an overcoming people who have a vision, praise God, of something beautiful and something good. That our God might be all in all. That our God might be everything and everything 
as Weymouth translated it. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. You are, Peter said, kings. You are kings. And you are priests under God. When Victoria was queen of the empire and queen of of Canada, she at a certain stage in her life experienced uh, a new birth and gave her heart, the testimony is recorded, of how she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and knew Him in her latter years in a personal way. She was a queen of the empire. She was a queen of Great Britain. She was the queen of Canada. She was crowned the empress of India. Maybe you learned something that you didn't know. She was the empress of India and all of the domains of the crown. And one day she was visiting with her own pastor in the, uh, in the palace. And they, the conversation went to the coming back of Jesus. And the pastor told her, Your Majesty, one day he will come again. And that day he will come as King of Kings. And I was going to say Queen of Queens. He would be King of Queens too. (laughs) King of Kings and King of Queens. (laughs) King of all. And Lord of Lords. And it is said that she bowed her head in the presence of her pastor. And she said, when that glorious day comes, when King Jesus returns, I shall remove the crown from off of my head and I shall lay it humbly at His feet. Hallelujah. You, Peter said, are kings and priests unto God. You're chosen to rule with Him. You're chosen to reign with Him because He has confidence in you that that work which He has begun in you will be brought to perfection. As the Apostle Paul said, He who hath begun a good work in you, He will bring it to completion. He will bring it to fullness. Jesus saw a people arising with overcoming power. It's His power. It's His life. Hallelujah. And He said they will overcome. And He writes in the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit, by the anointing, writes in the book of of the Revelation to the seven church ages. By the way, the book of Revelation is not the revelation of St. John the Divine. Somebody scribbled that in in some of the Bibles, and it's been passed on. But it isn't the revelation of St. John the Divine. The first verse says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is the revealing, the unveiling of Christ. Some people stay out of that book. They said it's scary. Maybe you better take another look at it. Because it is the account of a people overcoming. It's the account of the bride of Christ arising in victory over all of the powers of darkness. It's the account of a triumphant church, the body of Christ. The King is in His holy temple. That's what I see. And as the Holy Spirit wrote to the seven churches of Asia, now, there's a lot of debate. Is it seven church ages? Is it for all of us? Were they real, specific churches in various localities? I don't even want to explore that, that facet of it. There is a word there for all of the people of God, for all generations and all time. And he points out to us very clearly, even in some of those eras that he's writing about, where the church, so-called church, is very weak and and, and seems to have lost its first love, and, and, and times are so difficult. Uh, he says, but to those, in each one of those church ages, he wrote, 
But to those among you who have ears to hear, to those among you who can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And then he goes on and he tells them about great victory as they, were, as they overcome the things that are arrayed against them in His power and His might. And He says, they will sit with Me in My throne and I will give them authority. I will give them anointed power over the nations. Praise His wonderful name. Hallelujah. There have been tremendous saints of the Most High throughout all of history who have fought the good fight of faith according to the light that had been shed upon their pathway. And I thank God this morning for every single one of them. There are many people around us that we encounter who are endeavoring to fight a good fight according to the the amount of understanding and light that has been shed on their pathway. And it's so easy to get so critical so fast and so quick. If somebody doesn't see what you see, where were you 40 years ago? You don't, didn't see 40 years ago. Well, some of you weren't even around. But, <laughs> but uh, where were you 40 years ago? You didn't see the half of what you see today. What if somebody would have said to you, well, you don't see what you should be seeing. You're out of here. Not so. He was going to unveil himself to every hungry heart. Um, and wherever... Wherever, this is the way I deal with other Christians and other people personally, I have this concept deep within my being that wherever there is a hungry heart, God will meet with that man on whatever level uh, He needs to meet with them. We often say, I'm very evangelistically inclined. Uh, I don't know if I need to tell you. I am full of good news. I'm telling you horrible stories here, but they're all <laughs> trying to, to tell them all in a good news sort of way. Because the gospel is good news. That's what the word means. It's good news. It's a message of victory. Hallelujah. But be that as it may, when you encounter people on various levels of experience and understanding, may you have in within you the heart and the love of Jesus um, that reaches out and to embrace all of those who love Him with the admonition and the encouragement to, to love Him more, praise God. To reach out for all that God has before you. God knows it's hard enough in this old world that we're in today. I am not... Uh, uh, speaking of those who are enemies of the gospel, there are people who are who have sided with darkness and are uh, have declared themselves enemies of the gospel. I'm speaking of people whose hearts are hungry for God, no matter what level of experience they're on. We were in Big Spring, Texas, uh, just a few days ago. Actually, we were on the road for three whole weeks, and then. We got home, and we had two days, and then here we are in Calgary. Tomorrow, we're going home, probably for a couple of days. <laughs> no, I hope it's longer than that. <laughs> but in Big Spring, Texas, in the, in the camp meeting they had last, the last camp meeting, it was this year, actually, uh, in Big Spring, it's still a sorting out time, you know. It's kind of a mixed multitude. That's okay because God will take out of the mixed multitude those who will hear His voice and He'll raise them up and lead them on. So you've got people in all kinds of levels of understanding and misunderstanding and all the rest that goes with it. And yet the anointing seems to break down all of the barriers that are among such people. Praise God. Thank God for the anointing. But uh, there's a, a dear lady uh, and her husband who've been coming among us for a few years now. Uh, I'm, I'm always intrigued with them because she had been in another life a circus performer. And when I was a kid, how I wanted to join the circus. 
Oh, I don't know, maybe you did too. Was that you? <laughs> I wanted to join the circus. I couldn't wait till I would be old enough so I could run away and join the circus. Now, I don't know what I was going to do in the circus, but I wanted to join the circus. So when there comes one into the family of God from the circus, you know, I stand up and pay attention. She was, well, I won't go into what all she did in the circus. But today, she and her husband are spirit-filled people. They have a, a measure of understanding of the things of the kingdom, much that God is speaking to us about. And they're always there when we gather for these special gatherings. And uh, I was a little, I'm not really discouraged. I don't know if I get discouraged. I, I, uh, I find myself going more in, the, in those times in the direction of prayer and reaching out to God and asking God why and how and show us, that type of thing. And I was in one of those states. And uh, we were having some private conversation with these circus people and myself. And uh, I said, it's kind of uh, uh, maybe disappointing is the word that we are, uh, so many of us are so many different levels of understanding. And uh, you'd love to see God sweep in and just bring us all into a full oneness in Him as His Word declares. And she looked at me, the circus girl. She looked at me and she said, Brother Miller, I'm not going to tell you this is a word from the Lord, but think about it. She says, we are, we are all, no, not all. She said, we may be on different pages, but remember, we're all in the same book. What? We are, maybe we are on different pages, but we're all in the same book. I thought about it, and 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 I'm still thinking about it. And I hear the voice, the voice of God. My people, different levels of experience, different levels of understanding, but Terry, they are all in the same book. My book. The book of life. You started somewhere. And it isn't where you are today. You started somewhere. But God leads His dear children along. So we must welcome and receive all who are born of His Spirit as brothers and as sisters in Christ. Not to doubtful disputations, but as brothers and sisters on a journey. And we have a responsibility to minister life and to share the Word of God with whoever will hear and receive. Amen? Amen. You say, oh, I thought we were at war with the denominations. We don't believe in denominations, but we're not at war. In many of those denominations, which came as forth as offshoots of the various moves of the Spirit within every one of those denominations, most likely, you will find people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And their heart is not for denomination, their heart is for Jesus. And they are longing for the day that we might all flow together. Hallelujah. But God is working in a peculiar way as He's calling forth a remnant throughout all of time as a first fruits company to go on before and to sort of pave the way for those that will follow. John the Baptist is a type of this very truth. John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness. Have you ever felt the same way? That we are just a voice. Yes, but a voice that is crying out in the wilderness. He was prepared, that voice was preparing the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And He's coming again. And we're not discussing things like rapture and all that in this 
in this series. Don't believe me, we could go there, but uh, we're not going there. We're just leaving it at this point. He's coming again. Hallelujah. And with joy, we are welcome. His returning. Amen? Amen. Amen. But that first fruits company is declaring, Behold, He cometh like a voice crying in the wilderness. Sons of God, arise in the power of Jesus' name. Sons of God going forth like a mighty army declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. When we read in the Proverbs that without a vision, the people perish. Remember we talked about being a visionary people, a people of vision. Without a vision, the people perish. That's a good translation. But I think the NIV probably translates that even more clearly in in present-day language. Whereas the King James translates it, without a vision, the people perish. NIV translates it, without a revelation, the people perish. Think about that. Without a vision or without a revelation. And what did Paul pray? He said that the eyes of our understanding may be enlightened. He said that upon you will come the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Without a revelation, which in reality is the present truth of any given hour, without that revelation, without that understanding, you will be like a ship without a sail. And He lays this in your heart. And He reveals unto His own in this hour His plan and His purpose. The plan even of the ages. God deals in terms of the ages because God is ageless. He is eternal. That means Unending, always was, always will be, is now. I used to hear them say it in the high church. Him who was and him who is, who now is and forevermore shall be. Amen. And then everybody goes, Amen. And then he says, And the peace of the Lord be with you and with you and with thy... About that time, I'm ready. Is there, is there going to be somebody in here who just shouts, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! <laughs> you see how they formalize everything. I heard about this. I think it was in, in Washington, state of Washington, a young uh, people's gathering where there was a bit of an, a visitation of God just, just a couple of years ago. And uh, these young people were all on fire. You know, uh, when you get, you get on fire, you find the joy of the Lord is your there's a spring in your step. I know who I am. I know where I've been and I know where I'm going. And Jesus is my way, my truth, and my life. Is there an amen in the house? Hallelujah. Young people, when they're on fire for God, something else. Elder Earl Henry back in Antigua in the West Indies used to say to us, he said, Brother Miller, that's how he talked to me, Brother Miller, I say, yes, Elder Henry. <laughs> Everybody calls. He's the only elder I have ever known in the whole move of the Spirit that when anybody addressed him, always put the word elder in front of his name. <laughs> he carried that kind of an authority. You were almost afraid not to. So we say, yeah, yes, Elder Henry. He said, Brother Miller. Yes, Elder Henry. He said, Brother Miller, he said, you know what we must do? And what is that, sir? He says, we must get these get the anointing on these young people. And he says, if the anointing is on these young people, he said, the fire of God will consume them. And he said, you know, brother, what will happen then? No, brother Henry. He said, the people them, they will come to watch them burn. (laughs) Hallelujah! I never forgot that. Get the fire of God, my brother. Uh, oh, hallelujah. Brother York would surely love that. He said, get the anointing on them. 
Get the anointing on them. Get the fire of God burning on them in your life. Minister that kind of life in the Spirit. And remember the words of Elder Henry. And then, and brother, he said, the people them, meaning the people, all the people, and the people them, they will come from everywhere just, just to watch them, watch, no, that's German. Watch them burn. Yeah, that's, that's true. Well, that happened over in Spokane area in Washington not long ago when a spirit fell on a group of young people. It was a powerful, localized revival, but a powerful visitation to them. And then came Sunday morning all week. They'd been in the presence of God shouting and praising the Lord. Sunday morning they thought, well, they should probably go to some churches, you know. So they spread out and they don't know much about denominations or things like that. And so... Uh, one uh, uh, one bunch went to a Lutheran church, uh, uh, one of the more traditional Lutheran churches in uh, Spokane, and and the pastor was doing exactly what I just said. In the name of the Lord, be praised from everlasting to everlasting. Then say Amen. And one of the young people, when he was hearing all hearing all this going on, beautiful words, you know. He stood up in the balcony and they said he raised his hands to God. Hallelujah! Well, that Lutheran church just about, just about, if there had been a hole, it would have swallowed them up. But I know what possessed him. I do. It's that same anointing which I know very well and you know very well. And who is that anointing? He has a name. His name is His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. The anointed one who fills us with his power, with his life, and makes all of this worthwhile. Amen. Hallelujah. But the church, God has an intention, a divine intention. Even in the ages to come, in the next chapter, chapter 2, he says in verse 6, speaking of God, I'm in Ephesians 2, verse 6, And God hath raised us up together and has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His glory in His kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Last night we talked about Martin Luther. Now, I I don't know if you thought these history sessions were going to be a little different than they are. Let's shake hands on it. I thought they would be too. But my notes are totally out the window. I've, every word practically I've spoke here is by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That Didn't we pray that? We just said, oh God, just send the rain, send the wind, just blow in here and grab a hold of us and shake us and, and let us hear the voice of the Son of God. I think he moved us into a higher place where we don't just talk about dates and times and places and personalities so much as we talk about his wonderful unfolding plan of the ages and how he's been bringing us from where we have been to where we are today. And he's trying to give us a glimpse of where he is trying to take this people uh, in, his, in the great economy of God. Martin Luther, we use his name because he's a, he's a... All I will say in that regard is, Martin Luther, we use his name as a point of reference. There were many, many people in that era, in that great move of God, when justification by faith alone was restored as foundational truth in the body of Christ. It wasn't Martin alone. But we use his name as a point of reference because he is remembered. And some people say we shouldn't mention the names. I've even had people say that to me when you teach on church history. Don't mention the names 
of people, well, then I might as well take my Bible and take the scissors to it because it's full of the names of people and the experiences of the names of people. Right beginning with Genesis, right then. See, why is that? Because they were just regular folks like you and I who God moved upon. And God tells this story to us in the, in the Holy Scriptures so as a point of reference so we can look at that experience and glean uh, from that experience. And the Scriptures record the difficult times of people who are named by name. Uh, he, he does that too to show us what many have had to go through in order to overcome. And some didn't make it. And he's warning us, I believe, that some may not make it again if they're not faithful to the high and holy calling that I have given on to them. Praise God. So we'll use Luther as a point of reference. A mighty revival, mighty move of God called the Protestant Reformation. Protestant in the sense that they were protesting what was being taught by the institutional established church that happened to be Roman Catholic at that time. And, uh, and then uh, came forth the mighty revelation in that move of God that the just shall live by faith and multitudes were born again by the Spirit of God. But the revival or the move of God of that hour went right across the borders of many, many nations and many countries. And, and men like Huldrych Zwingli over in Switzerland, uh, in Zurich, was caught up uh, in that same move of God, this very same move of God. Uh, a little bit later, John Calvin was caught up in that mighty move of God. Then there was a Roman Catholic priest by the name of Ameno Simons who was caught up in the mighty move of God. And then there was Georg Blauruck, uh, George Georg Blauruck in Switzerland, another Roman Catholic priest uh, who was caught up in the, in the move of God. And uh, these people were uh, arising into a place that they had knowing almost nothing about. But God, by the revelation of His Word unto them, made known the great truth uh, that the salvation experience and the forgiveness of sins, uh, hallelujah, is through the blood uh, of the Lamb. What a revival. It just swept uh, the whole world, of that, uh, uh, a European world of that day. The opposition began to arise. It was mighty. The opposition was the fiercest that came from the established traditional organization. It happened to be Roman Catholicism at that time. Persecution arose. Many lives were laid down. I was going to say they were lost. They were not lost. They were laid down uh, for the truth. Hallelujah. And Jesus is the truth. Luther was called before the councils. He was called before the Pope's representative and admonished greatly. But uh, the more they moved against him, the more the truth seemed to flourish. Luther was one of the, one of the few uh, of that time uh, that did not die a martyr's death. And I believe that was, that was definitely the hand of God. Um, uh, when he was before the emperor and before the uh, the leadership of that day, uh, and uh, it was demanded that he would recant, and he was allowed to leave uh, their presence and to return to Wittenberg on the way. Brother Smith just refreshed me on this last night afterwards, that uh, on the way back to Wittenberg, wasn't it, that they uh, pretty much kidnapped him, these people, from in Worms. When he gave his testimony, what a name, huh? In Worms. And uh, <laughs> no wonder you squiggled out of that one. I would have too. But, uh, pardon me, Lord. <laughs> but you understand what I mean. Uh, he, he was leaving, for, leaving from Worms after this great tribunal and testimonium. And uh, he was pretty much kidnapped along the way by unknown peoples. I, the hand of God is something else, you know. And he was taken to this castle 
I don't even know if he knew where it was. I don't think he even knew. They blindfolded them. Yes. Yes. And how long was he held there? You know? Something like that, wasn't it? And you know what happened during that time when Luther was held for his own safety and protection? These were not people against him, but he didn't know that at the moment. He was held there for his own safety and protection so he wouldn't be among those who would be executed. And what did Luther do during that time? He translated, hallelujah, the Holy Scriptures into the language of the the German language into the language of the common people. And that is when the Bible began to become available to the common people. Hallelujah. Dr. Luther's uh, translation, still uh, one of the best uh, German translations that has ever been been done. And uh, Luther also was a great hymn writer. And uh, one of them that we sing is a mighty fortress. He probably wrote it while he was in that fortress. He said, a mighty fortress is uh, our God. Praise the Lord. But you know, Luther, although he received and those around him received this wonderful revelation of uh, the salvation experience, um, they, for the most part, did not move beyond that. Luther's interest actually was to reform the Roman Catholic Church. But the church, the old wineskins would not be reformed, and so they began to worship separately. And people started to call them against the admonition of Dr. Luther and others, began to call them the Lutherians or the Lutherans. And that is how the name began to stick. And after a period of time, there was a good time frame in there that passed, the, they began to organize the what was essentially a move of God. They tried to contain it and organize it into a church system or organization. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit was no longer able, I say that with all due respect, not that He couldn't have overridden everything, but we are workers together, folks, with God. There's God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And when you say to God, thank you, Lord, for what I've received and Thus far, but no more, please. You close the door. You may not say those words, but that may be your your actions. And that's what happened. And the Lutheran movement, basically the Protestant movement itself, never moved much beyond that truth of justification by faith. But thank God for that truth. There was a remnant, however in all of the lands of Europe at that time, who were not satisfied with what had now happened. For they felt and knew in their spirit, they were stirred up in their spirit, that God wants to do something more. God wants to take us on another step into another level. See, when you organize in this way, uh, and it's happened in almost every move of God in history, that Holy Spirit no longer seems to be able to speak to that people beyond that experience. And He needs to call out a people, hallelujah, who will follow Him into the next level and step of experience. And that is exactly what happened. Uh, I could go into a lot of details, but there was a mighty revival that swept through England uh, uh, under the reign of Henry VIII. Henry VIII was certainly no saint. I don't know. They might call him that, but he certainly was no saint. And it wasn't because he weighed 380 pounds. He, it was be, and was kind of grotesque in physical appearance, but it was because of his his heart, because of his turmoil in his life. Um, and yet God will use people like that sometimes, strange as can be, to open the door 
for a people to come forward out of darkness into glorious light. Henry was a strong Roman Catholic. He was the monarch of the empire. And uh, he uh, uh, was finished with one wife and decided that he wanted a divorce. And uh, Catherine of Aragon, and uh, he, she did not give him a male heir. And divorce was against the teaching uh, of the church, of the established Roman Catholic Church, and was not allowed. And they petition, he petitioned directly to the Pope. And, and it might be of interest to you, I saw in your Calgary Herald, I think yesterday, in the, uh, in the Calgary Herald, that the present Pope Benedict of Rome has released the actual document that was signed by Henry VIII appealing to the Pope of Rome and uh, asking for a divorce from Catherine of Aragon, which they turned down. And uh, it's a long story, but Henry, by the time he was finished, had gone through, was it five or six wives? Two of them uh, were executed, one outlived him, but there was divorce after divorce after divorce. You say, how could there be a move of God in the midst of such a shamazel? Henry was not the one upon whom God moved as far as restoration truth was concerned. But he used him. He used Pharaoh of Egypt also. God raised up Pharaoh uh, in, the, in the hour in which he did. But uh, Henry appealed to, the, uh, the, to Rome, and his appeal was turned down, and there was a split between the English uh, Catholic Church and the Catholic Church uh, of Rome, and, uh, and the leadership of it changed dramatically. And there were certain Catholic leaders of the church in, in, in England at that time who were influenced by the writings that were coming across the channel from France and from Germany about this great truth of justification by faith. And one of them was a man by the name of Thomas Cranmer. And when the split came between, full split became between the English church and the, and the Roman Catholic church, and they declared the new church to be uh, a Catholic church, but their own Catholic church. They called it the Church of England, the Anglican Church, the Church of England, the Church of England, the Anglican Church. And they established their own hierarchy. And the man who was appointed to become the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, happened to be that very same Thomas Cranmer. And Thomas Cranmer had been influenced by the revival from Germany and Thomas Cranmer had found peace with God and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here he was now, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, Henry declared himself the, the head of the church. He was the um, defender, oh God help me, the defender of the faith and all of these sorts of things. But the real power, the God power, was in men like Thomas Cranmer who began to preach the gospel, the simple gospel of salvation through the blood of Christ. Brother Holt was born in England. Our uh, Brother Holt has gone on to be of the Lord. And I used, like many, and we traveled together, especially in new fields, Africa and places like that with him. And uh, he used to tell me about merry old England. He was just a child, I believe, when he came to Canada. But he said to me one day, he said, you know, the history of England is a bloody history. <laughs> I always hear British people talking about bloody this and bloody that and bloody the other thing. But the history, <laughs> yes, truthfully, a lot of good things came out of it. Don't misunderstand me. But uh, it did have, there was a bloody history. It has a bloody history, especially in that time frame of Henry VIII. And Henry died and there was a big uh, confusion going on as to whether the throne will be in the hands of, a, uh, of an Anglican or in the hands of a Catholic. And there was 
maneuvering going on back and forth and uh, once in a while a Catholic came to the throne and, and then did away with the Church of England and its leadership and then uh, uh, an Anglican like uh, the, the Queen Elizabeth I came to the throne and opened the door for, uh, for this uh, word to be proclaimed by Cranmer and all of the others uh, of that era. Uh, but then Mary Tudor came to the throne, or Mary Tudor came to the throne first, and, and she was a, a, a die-hard uh, Roman Catholic, and she started a persecution against those who stood for the things that Cranmer and others stood for. And uh, a lot of them were jailed, a lot of them were exiled, and she replaced the leadership with Catholic cardinals and bishops. Um, they called her Bloody Mary. And the reason for that was because of all of the blood that was shed uh, during uh, uh, her reign. And uh, it, it's, it's quite a story. And uh, finally, Cranmer himself, the archbishop, was removed and he was arrested under her reign. And uh, was de- it was demanded that he recant and that he turn his back on the faith that he was now espousing. And also with him was, Bla- uh, was Bishop Latimer and Bishop uh, Ridley, both of whom were strong, born-again Christians, filled with the power of God. And they all shared prison cells. Um, and in the cell, as they, uh, they brought Tanmer under torture, he began to, uh, to reconsider. And uh, I don't know what happened to him. I don't want to criticize him. But Archbishop Cranmer signed the document that was given to him by the priests um, that he renounced the faith that he had been espousing. And, uh, of course, that was published everywhere. That Cranmer admits that he was wrong. and Catholicism was right. Um, and uh, the day came when uh, Bishop uh, Ridley, who remained faithful, and, and Bishop Latimer, who remained faithful in, in all odds, were taken to the death place, and they were to be burned alive at the stake. And Ridley, on the stake, said to Latimer, on the stake that was adjoining him, Bishop Ridley said, Master Latimer, he said, today we shall light a fire in England that shall never go out. And both of them died in the flames. And that's why I mention their names this morning. They lit a fire. And a fire that goes, that continues to burn in the hearts of those who have received Jesus Christ and know their story all over the world yet today. And then the Archbishop Cranmer, at the orders of, of Bloody Mary the Queen, was taken to the place of execution, even though he had recanted and turned back to the Catholic Church. And they read at the stake the document that he had signed just before he was to be burned. And they handed it to him. And they said, even though you have recanted because of the great crimes you have done in misleading the people, you must die at the stake. And they handed him his own document. And Bishop Latimer, or Archbishop, uh, I'm sorry, Archbishop Cranmer, took that document, and as the flames started to come up, and they were held in his hand, he said, I repent of my recantation. And he took the document and flung his hand with the document into the fire. And he said, God, let this hand that signed this document burned first. And he said, I die today in the faith of Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah! Master Latimer, today we shall light a fire in England that shall never go out. Who would say that these men of that hour, were not chosen and elect and faithful of God 
and are among that innumerable company that today urges us to go on. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.